When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Shot Podcast. I'm your host, Duncan Robinson, and I'm here with my good friends and my co-host. And unfortunately, we're virtually, uh, but I am here with Davis Reed. Davis, how are we doing? I'm great. Gearing up for March Madness. I've got, I'm rocking my KU gear, my Kansas attire. Uh, I was going to throw on a Michigan hat for full transparency so I could sort of represent both sides because I now have, I feel a little affiliation to both programs. But, you know, it's rock chalk flowing through my blood, Dunk. So I just got the KU shirt on. I mean, I, I hate that for you. You were a Michigan fan for the longest time. You currently reside in Ann Arbor. It just seems like a weird time in your life to now wear a Kansas shirt. I feel like for the last whatever amount of years, you've always been rooting for Michigan in March. And now we're just flipping back to Kansas. I mean, I know you used to have that that Mario Chalmers uh, game-winning three, that poster up in your room. I remember seeing that. Yes. But – uh I don't know. I just feel like you should still be on the Michigan bandwagon. We need it now more than ever. People are hopping off the bandwagon uh, like crazy. Well, they should be hopping on because you guys snuck your way into the tournament. Not snuck your way. That's that's disrespectful. But you guys made your way into the tournament. So there's still, there's still plenty of room to go. Quickly on the Mario Chalmers thing, that is without a doubt my high as a fan of basketball at any level. I have never felt the amount of dopamine flowing through my brain as when Mario Chalmers hit that shot ran running circles around my house. If we're practicing full transparency, I was crying previously before the shot uh, or the moments leading up to that shot. Tears were streaming down my face. I thought the season was over. I was in eighth grade uh, and I cared about nothing more than KU basketball. So when that shot went in, I was actually in my parents' bedroom watching because I couldn't watch with the rest of the family. I was that distraught. So I was by myself in my parents' room, but I had the game on because they had a TV in there. And then he hit the shot, and I just sprinted back into the living room, right back into good spirits. Talk about the roller coaster of uh, emotions that you feel on March Madness. First off, it's a little disappointing that you know a very close friend of yours, uh, myself, uh, went on a national championship run to Monday night, and you don't consider that to be one of your favorite moments watching college basketball, but instead uh, somebody who you've never met, you've never crossed paths with Mario Chalmers. <laughs> you don't know him in any capacity. You haven't broken bread with him. You haven't sat down at a table and shared life stories. You don't host a podcast with mm-hmm. Mario Chalmers, uh, yet somehow he surpasses me in that regard, which is just, I mean, it's somewhere in between just – disrespectful and ignorant. I don't know where it falls exactly. Um, but with that being said, you actually make an interesting point of, I have so many childhood memories watching sports where you just experience a certain level of exuberance and jubilation. There are two SAT words uh, ding, for ding, kids ding. studying back at home. <laughs> um, but like they just get, they're just unmatched for the rest of my life. Like I will never be able to, from a, from a spectating standpoint, now that I play basketball, obviously when I, I win, it carries a, a new level uh, of excitement. But 
like I will never be able to recreate the excitement that I felt when one, sorry, but the Celtics won in 2008. I was a huge Celtics fan. Uh, when the Red Sox won in 2004. 2008 was a good year for both of us then. Yeah, true. Uh, but particularly the 2004 Boston Red Sox, when they won that World Series and broke the curse. I mean, I just, there. I, I honestly feel like the rest of my life is like kind of on a downward trend because I can never recreate that. I can never have that, that moment back. Um, and maybe that's just the beauty of sports. I know we've actually kind of like come at adults who are like too invested in sports, but maybe we're the ones doing it wrong, Dave. Maybe we need to just jump two feet in and just be back on bandwagons and, and just letting it, you know, letting us live and die uh, with the results of our sports teams. I think you're right. I think maybe the world causes you to just get more jaded as you age and it's harder to feel that that just pure bliss that you feel that's why that 2008 KU run holds such a special place in my heart it was a, you know I'm 14 years old it's like there's nothing literally nothing I care about more than KU basketball now when Jordan Poole hits a shot when you guys are on your run or you make your way to the national championship you know those are ultimate highs as well I'm heavily invested and that was another one where I'm running around the house in joy but there's just other weight that the world has added on my shoulders at that point. You know, I got a job. I'm worried about work in the morning. There's just other things. When I'm a 14-year-old, I don't give a shit about anything except KU basketball. So I think maybe that's what it is. I, I'm actually going to take a different take here. First off, shout out to Jordan Poole for that shot. Uh, that was incredible. Um we will maybe unpack that later on in this episode. In fact, I hope that we do, but your parents were actually in attendance for that game and your brother mm, as well true. in your home state of, of, uh, of Kansas, Wichita, Kansas, beautiful city. If you've never been, make sure you go check out Wichita. Um, kidding. It's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, no, no, I'm not throwing shade at Wichita, but yeah, come there's, on, don't there's come a lot of places like that would that. be a great venue. There's a lot of places that'd be a great venue to host a, uh, an NCAA tournament regional and for some reason they chose Wichita but anyways my take my take on why as we get older is not the existential dread of day-to-day -day life but I actually think it's our own egos getting in the way that's what mm -hmm. I've experienced more than anything is that as I've gotten older I've realized like you can't idolize people the way that you can when you're a kid like when you're a kid you idolize professional athletes now maybe that's wrong I don't know because I and I'm, I'm now a professional athlete. I'm around them often. I realize that many of my counterparts are not by any means people that should be uh, looked up to unanimously, unanimously, I should say, not unanimously. Um, but with that being said, I, I think it's more about our egos and that as we get older, we're like, we're like weirdly in competition with like that person's the same age as me. I can't look up to him. I can't idolize what he's doing on a night to night basis. Therefore we have to like reserve ourselves from being vulnerable in those moments, um, which is a little bit of like a, a psychoanalysis on society at large, but I'm actually really just doing it for myself. That's how I feel when I watch the Red Sox play now, or when I watch the Patriots, I'm like, that guy's three years younger than me. Like that's weird. I don't know, but it is. Um, anyways, that was a little bit of a, a tangent uh, that, that went a whole bunch of different directions. I agree. When I was growing up, I had my childhood bedroom. The entire left wall was, it was probably like 20 feet long by 10, 12 feet high. And it was, there was not a 
inch of wall that you could see. It was all posters. Not not an inch of wall. It was posters. And it was pr- primarily NBA posters. But there were a couple NFL, Champ Bailey. There's some Derek Jeter. You know, I dabbled into the other sports. But those guys were gods. You're right. And we've talked about, I think we've talked about this, but that KU red and blue flowing through my bloods, flowing through, flowing through my blood, it started to dissipate a little bit when I got that age because you're exactly right. I, you can't care as much when they're your age. You can, but it's really hard to because you're right. There's that comparison. So I think you're right. My uh, question for you is growing up, who were the college players that did that for you? Like for me, it was Mario Chalmers. I talked about Aaron Miles, Wayne Simeon. It was the KU guys. But for mm-hmm. you, I know you weren't as much of a college basketball diehard. You were a Celtics guy. Were there college guys that you really looked up to? So this is, and I've, I've shared this point before, maybe not publicly in this forum, but this is the one downside of growing up in New England is that you don't have the big state school affiliation and pride that comes with growing up in particularly the Midwest. I feel like the Midwest is like the staple of like what it means to be affiliated with you know, a University of Michigan, a Michigan State, an Iowa, an Iowa State, a Kansas, Kansas State, like all that sort of stuff uh, very much exists in the Midwest. And in the Northeast, like, with all due respect to the Wildcats, what am I, am am I going to be hopeful that UNH is going to make a run every year in in the tournament? Like, it's just not going to happen. And I love what Billy Harrian's doing over there with the program. Uh, The future is bright. Uh, I'm friends with a handful of alums. I mean, I'm a little bitter I'm a little bitter that they didn't offer me a scholarship. I still fully haven't gotten over that. Yeah, right. They didn't recruit me. Not, not when I was coming out of high school, not when I transferred, nothing. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So my point being is I didn't really have college teams that I could fully dive into. So as a result, I picked college players. I loved Steph Curry. I know that's not a hot take. Uh, I loved actually one of the teams that I really liked was Texas because of Daniel Gibson. Oh, yeah, uh, loved yeah. Booby Gibson, was a huge fan. I loved Syracuse because of Johnny Flynn. I was a huge Johnny Flynn and Syracuse fan. Eric Devendorf, legend, legend. Uh, from the great state of Michigan. He was just a, a Syracuse orange legend, huge fan of his. Akeem Warwick, he was great. Um, he actually lost to a, a, a UVM state or a, a New England state school in the, the University of Vermont. Um, so maybe I should have been cheering for UVM. I don't know. But yeah, those are some of the teams that I, I really uh, enjoyed watching. Then also the great thing about it too was like come tournament time, you know, this time of year, I could just be the ultimate bandwagon fan. You know, I could pick a bracket. I could fill it out. I didn't have any allegiances. I could just watch all the games. You know, usually that that first uh, that first round of games, that Thursday, Friday slate, I would watch a team and I'd fall in love with a player that I'd never heard of. I remember a, uh, a guy from, um, God, where's he from? Uh, Ryan Rossiter from uh, Siena. Oh, was just electric. He was like a he was like a four or five stretch big ahead of his time. <laughs> Toughness could rebound, shoot, do it all. I loved Ryan Rossiter. You've never even heard of his name, and I was a huge fan. So like, I would randomly, I would randomly just like pick teams and players that I would be like, this is my guy this year, uh, and we would just go on the run of a lifetime. And you know, I would pull for them all the way uh, to be playing on Monday night. Rarely did it happen, but we had a we had a couple uh, shooting stars. I mean, Steph Curry and Davidson was always a fun pick because you just got to 
watch him take down Giants, you know, take down Georgetown, take down Wisconsin. That was fun stuff. Isn't that the beauty of March Madness? I mean, it's so on brand with our podcast. It's like the ultimate long shot event. Everyone's rooting for the underdog. Every year you have upsets. Every year you have a team make a run that you were never expecting. It's the it's the ultimate long shot moment. That's what makes it so fun for everybody. Everybody wants the Cinderella story. And it's a beautiful transition, Duncan, because we're really bad at introing these episodes and letting it be known up front what we're planning to do for the duration of the episode. We're now like 15 minutes in and we've just been going on an absolute tangent. But the idea, I love it, by the way. The idea of this episode is I watch, I just like to say Ryan Rossiter is a worthwhile tangent. I mean, yeah, that yeah, guy sure. was college basketball royalty. And and but by the way, you. Mario Chalmers is a worthwhile tangent as well. I don't mean to I don't demean I don't mean to say that neither either of those guys aren't. But the idea of this episode is Dunk, we're we're here. March Madness is upon us. And you have such an interesting perspective because you've made it all the way to the last night of the season at two very different levels, division three and division one. So not many people know more about a March Madness run than you do. And so what I would like to do is reflect on those because what a time they were for you and compare the two, because I imagine that a run in division three is, looks a little bit different than a run in division one in a lot of factors, right? The amount of people that are covering it, the amount of people that are watching it, uh, the hotel, the bus ride. I just think there's probably a lot that's very different. So what we've done is we, we've assigned some categories. And what I want to do is by each category, reflect on these two different runs. And then we'll sort of, who knows? I don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but I'm thinking we, we kind of score us, we create a score system, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to try to determine which run was better for you. Does that sound okay? It sounds great. I, I'd also, we're comparing two runs. I'd actually like to point out that I also made another run to the final game of the season. It wasn't a March Madness run because it was in the NBA Finals. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the NBA Finals. I'm not sure. But uh, I also I also played in the NBA Finals. So, I mean, if you want to, you know, maybe flash across the, the screen on YouTube right now that, you know, some quirky statistic about how I'm the only player in basketball history who's played in the division three final, uh, division one final and an NBA final. I mean, I guess you could do that right now. Um, and then also, if you really wanted to humble me, Davis, you could also tell me that I'm also the only player who's lost in all three. Uh, so I, I hold both of those, those crowns, um, one for better and the other for worse. I want to make it very clear. I was not going to take it there. Uh, you did that on your own. But yeah, I'd say I'm not going to look this up because I don't think it's necessary. There's no chance that there's ever been another basketball player who's lost at all of those different levels. No. Yeah. I knew you weren't going to bring it up because you're a good friend and a good co-host, but I've found that it's better to to get out in front of those sort of things uh, and preemptively self-deprecate. It just tends to, you know, clear any sort of awkwardness in the room. And then also, you know, show that, you know, you're kind of willing to laugh at yourself a little bit, which, which I think is on you know, unequivocally a positive thing. Right. Okay. I agree. All right. So Duncan, the first run that we'll be covering here is the 2014 Williams Eves. Is that right? Eves. Did I pronounce that correctly? I never, it's I never actually, committed that to memory. It's the, it's a little confusing. Um, 
It's the Williams College Purple Cow. So a purple cow is technically our mascot, and that's named after the Purple Valley, which is in which is where Williams resides in Williamstown, Massachusetts. And it, it's gotten that name because if you catch it on the right evening or maybe the right morning, uh, particularly in in a you know maybe a crisp October you'll see that the the valley actually tends to take on almost a purple looking feel with a mix between the beautiful foliage uh, and the the low tilted sun. So that's actually, it's it's the purple cows. And then thus, if the valley would be purple, then also the cows would then uh, as well blend in with the purple, thus making them purple cows. The reason that they're called the Eifs is that because they were founded by an individual named Ephraim, I believe, and I might be butchering that. Uh, I don't know his last name, but I'm going to guess that it's Ephraim Williams. <laughs> and uh, my guess is that that had somehow over time <laughs> transformed into Eves. So you get a lot of go Eves. Um, it's almost like a go blue for Michigan when obviously the mascot for Michigan is the Wolverine. So the, the mascot is a purple cow and go Eves or the fighting Eves or whatever you want to call it uh, is also kind of another nickname how much extra motivation did it take in the locker room to get fired up for a game knowing that you were coming out representing yourself as a purple cow oh man not much i mean we were pretty dialed in as a group uh we took a lot of pride in, in the purple cows it, it was always special you know particularly on saturday night games maybe friday night games you'd see the uh, the purple cow mascot running around on the baseline that was always a special one as well, uh, which I'm pretty sure was just a student who just, you know, maybe raised his hand and said, yeah, I'll do it tonight. But, uh, you know, the fanfare was was not exactly grade A, um, but the support was, you know, we felt a lot of love in, in our home gymnasium. Um, I can't Chandler. I was going to say I can't remember the name, but I, I do now. It's It was Chandler Gymnasium, special place. OK, so this is 2014, your freshman year at Williams, Division three. NESCAC, New England Small College Athletic Conference. You, I, I had to go back and look at just a quick, I just want to give context, a few quick stats. You were playing 35 minutes a game as a freshman, which was team high. You were scoring 17 a game and shooting 45% from three on the season. So you were hooping. You deflect this, but you were probably your team's best player. If not one, you were 1A, you were 1B. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I actually would have preferred if you could have thrown my conference stats in there instead because they were a little bit better. Um, because, you know, early in the year, non-conference, I wasn't quite comfortable, uh, you know, taking a lot of shots and doing that sort of thing. So my numbers were a little bit down. I think in conference, I was like, I want to say I was like 20, 20 a game, uh, eight rebounds, three assists on like 58 from the floor. 46 from three and about 90 mm. from the line, um, you know, give or take a few percentages here and there. But uh, yeah, it's actually funny. I, I will take this uh, to my grave with me. I was not the best player on my team that, that, uh, that accolade belonged to an individual by the name of Michael Mayer, uh, who was all conference, you know, first team player, all American. I think even the year prior that to me getting there, he was also an all American was also a math major at Williams college, which always really impressed me uh, because just majoring in math uh, is just impressive flat out. But then to do it at Williams is a whole nother beast. Uh, but he was incredibly talented, uh, unbelievable footwork and skill around the basket. He was six, nine. He was bigger than most division three bigs, more skilled than most division three bigs. And as a result, 
you know, that combination would prove to be pretty lethal. I mean, I, I fully believe that he could have been for sure a mid-major um, big man who who would have been a really, really good one, especially if he had had the resources of a Division One strength and conditioning program, um, you know, the on-court work, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I would say, you know, the combination of us two, um, where we also had other really good players, you know, guys that were for sure scholarship level talents. Um, you know, we had like six, seven guards and like six, seven point guards at Division Three. We were we were like a very, very unique uh, Division Three team. And just because I'm I'm sure some people are are listening who are on that team, Dan Wall, I'll shout you out. Hayden Rickley, I'll shout you out. Mike Greenman, I'll shout you out. And Dan Aronowitz, I'll shout you out. Mm, uh, all those guys were uh, were good players and good friends of mine. No, you guys were really good. You don't go to the national championship at any level unless you've got some really good basketball players on your team. Okay, we're going to be comparing that run to the 2018 Michigan Wolverines, the maize and blue, where you guys also made it to Monday night. Just for reference, you're playing 26 minutes a game. First half of the season, you're, you're starting. Second half, you're coming off the bench. You win sixth man of the year in the Big Ten. But you guys... Again, just come up a little short. So we're going to be comparing these two runs. Dunk, you gave a little context of the Michigan 2014 Purple Cow, or sorry, the Williams 2014 Purple Cows. Can you paint a picture of the 2018 Wolverines? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we had a good group. You know, I, I played three years at Michigan. I was there for four. I sat my first and played three. Um, each year, we we just got a little bit better. My first year, we snuck into the tournament. Uh, we actually won in that playing game. We beat a, a good Tulsa team and uh, ended up losing to Notre Dame in a game that we should have won. But uh, my, the following year, we made it to the Sweet 16 and lost to a, a Dylan Brooks-led Oregon team. And also uh, the other kid who I'm now forgetting is now. Oh, Jordan Bell was on that team as well. Uh, those those two guys uh, were a little bit too much for us to handle. And then the, my, my senior year, it was interesting. I, I thought we were actually poised to be probably the worst of my three years, but we had, uh, we just had that thing of just coming together at the right time, playing our best basketball at the right time. Um, we had some, some talent. I mean, Mo Wagner was our best player, uh, was really, really good. Xavier Simpson really came into his own. Charles Matthews was really good. Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman was for sure the unsung hero of that group. Never got any love, but was, uh, a huge, huge part of the run. Uh, we ended up winning the big 10 tournament and uh, going on and, and making it all the way to Monday night. And uh, would have to shout out Jordan Poole as well for the incredible shot that he hit uh, in Wichita, Kansas, which was a memory uh, that I'll never forget and one that in many ways saved my career, you could argue. We talked about the emotional highs as a fan. For you as a player, where does that shot rank in terms of just absolute euphoria? Yeah, that one was that one was crazy, right? Because we were playing really well up until that point. And I got to give Houston a ton of credit. They they did an unbelievable job of taking us out of what we wanted to do. And they made the game really, really ugly. And I actually fouled out with about, I think, probably like a little over a minute to play. Um, and we were down like five. And, you know, at that point, you're a senior. I was like 24, you know, because I, like I said, pretty well documented. I took my time uh, getting out of college, but uh, actually, I was 23. You're a senior, and you think you're checking out, most likely for the last time, 
and you're getting upset because we were a higher seed. Um, and you're sitting on the bench, you know, I had the, the towel around my neck, fully ready for just to go towel fully over the face. And uh, the game's coming down to the wire and it just gets more and more just, it just gets uglier and uglier. Uh, they start to make some plays. We can't make a shot. They get fouled. They go to the free throw line. We're basically down. I think we're down three. Um, and, I, and I'm looking at the end of the career end of, end of my college career right in the face. And uh, kid misses both free throws. JP hits just a miraculous shot. And, and you just have this crazy discrepancy of going from like the lowest of lows to the highest of highs uh, and chasing a, a freshman Jordan Poole. Uh, around the the court as he's just doing his his little dance or whatever it was um but i mean that will forever be one of the more special moments of my basketball career uh just because of the stage the setting and also ultimately what it led to it paved the way for us to to get all the way to monday night i'll never forget because i've watched that highlight quite a bit you're on the bench you like you said with the towel over your head and then you just spring up and it is it's just like pure jubilation your body's kind of shaking your hands are above the head you don't know how to react, and then it's just a full sprint around the court. It's, it's what a beautiful sight to see. Nah, it was it was special. And the funny thing about JP that year, and, and I, I hope to have JP on the podcast at some point. I've I've asked him like seven different times, and he just keeps being like, "No, oh, no, I got you, I got you," and then just keeps delaying and delaying. Um, but Jordan and I were roommates on the road that, that year, and he had a tough start to his freshman year and, and hopefully we can unpack it when he comes on, but I'll just like shine a little light on it. Him and coach Beeline were kind of at odds. You know, JP plays with a ton of flair and it, it's kind of like makes him who he is. Like he, he has his personality show through with how he plays basketball when he's incredibly unique in that way. But as a freshman, when you're just trying to get on the court, that can be a challenge because you have a coach who doesn't want the ball to get turned over. You want a coach that, wants a freshman on the floor who he can trust and rely on, who's going to take care of the ball. And as a result, JP was like out of the rotation for a good chunk of the, the first part of his uh, freshman year. And I remember sitting um, at North Carolina it was December 2nd, because I remember for some weird reason, we, I remember that we played them on December 3rd. So it was the night before the North Carolina game. And uh, JP was, was watching planet earth because he always watches planet earth before he goes to bed. Uh, he also is obsessed with cats, which is a, a great Jordan Poole fact. He had like three cats when he was a, a freshman at Michigan, like in his dorm room, which is definitely not allowed. Yeah, but no anyways, chance. he's watching planet earth and he just starts going on this rant to me about how he's going to be two and done. He's like, I'm going to be two and done. He's like, I'm going to get out. Like people think that, cause I'm not playing whatever this, that, or there, whatever, like, People don't realize, like, as soon as I get my chance, like, I'm going to show out and I'm going to be out of here in two years. And I was like, I was just trying to be the supportive senior. I was like, yeah, man, for sure. Like, you know, you just got to find a way to get, get on the court, like, you know, whatever, play within yourself, this, that, whatever. And he's like, nah, man, like, I'm going to be me and I'm going to get out of here in two years. And uh, at the time, I didn't believe him. But now I look like an idiot because he made it happen, uh, made light work of his sophomore year and and had a great really first part of his sophomore year, put him on the, on the boards. And then from there just, you know, showed some consistency and ended up being a first round pick. So uh, I love JP. That's my guy. And uh, I'm super happy for him, but I'm no, you know, one of the reasons why he'll always be my guy is because he hit that shot. That's for damn sure. Wow. What a story. I actually, I remember having a similar conversation with you after your sophomore year, you gave me the call. You were like, I think I'm out two and done. 
wasted my time. Yeah, when I was at uh, I was a freshman at Williams, I remember being like, you know what, man, like I'm just gonna declare for the draft after my yeah. sophomore year at Williams. I'm just gonna get out of here. Be yeah, the first ever Nescac to the league. Dave, I'm pretty excited to announce our partnership with Indochino. Uh, custom clothing, custom suits, anything you need, uh, they got it. And let me tell you, I've experienced their this process firsthand with them. Uh, I've gone to their stores, uh, gotten the whole fitting, everything, uh, pants, suits, uh, shirts, undershirts, whatever you need. Uh, and, and I have some kind of weird dimensions, right? I'm, I'm pretty tall. I got long legs, skinny waist, and the fit is just immaculate. Uh, they've done an unbelievable job. And actually, they hooked us up big time for your wedding. Uh, they had us looking awfully dapper. And the quality is fantastic. You can customize it. You can put your initials, your name, or a, a mantra or a saying. Uh, you can do different holograms on the jacket. Uh, and they have all sorts of cool colors, designs. Uh, and they're just very fashion forward. I'm a huge Indochino fan and uh, excited that they're uh, collaborating us here on The Long Shot. Indochino will always have a very special place in my heart, Duncan. Like you said, I was rocking Indochino on my wedding day. And you were standing next to me rocking Indochino as well. Did the whole process in Kansas City, walked in, first-class treatment. They're taking measurements all over the place, making sure that that suit is essentially painted on. It was comfortable, fit me perfectly, had the exact styles that I wanted. I mean, I really, I can't speak highly, uh, highly enough about this stuff. But here's the thing, Dunk. It's not just suits. It's not just wedding clothes. They've got casual shirts, casual pants, and everything is made to custom fit. So it's like, what better thing can you ask for? I'm a pretty standard sized guy, and it's still hard for me to find pants that are the exact right size. Not a problem with Indochino. So check this out. This season, you have the opportunity to dress to impress on every occasion with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using promo code LS at Indochino.com. That's $50 off any purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code LS. All right, so we got the 2014 Division Three run. We got the 28 Division One run. Dunk, let's go through a few categories, compare and contrast the two. The first category I have for, uh, category I have for you is gear received. Now, just to provide a little context here, at Wesleyan, 2015 NESCAC champions, just a friendly reminder, uh, by winning the league championship, we got an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So we went to the Division III NCAA tournament my sophomore year. I texted some of my friends this morning trying to remember if we even got any gear. The consensus was that we got a t-shirt and maybe a hat. Do you remember Division Three? Are they providing you? Is the NCAA providing us any gear? Um, I don't think I got it. When we won the Elite Eight um, and went to the Final Four, I don't remember a hat. And honestly, I don't even remember a shirt. I just remember getting a little piece of the net. And the reason I, I remember it is because we took a picture on the court afterwards and everybody was like, well, what do we do with the net? So we all just kind of held up the net <laughs> and like, you know, at Michigan, when we went to the elite eight, we tied the net onto right. the hat and then right. wore the hat backwards. That was like the move. Um, 
but we didn't get any gear at Division Three, so we all just kind of hold up the hold, held up the net to show everybody, like, look, we did it, we cut these down. Um, <laughs> I think it, I think we might have gotten a shirt for winning the tournament, but we didn't win the tournament. We lost in the championship. Right. Um, Amherst that year won the tournament, so they probably got a shirt, but I don't think we actually ever got a shirt. Now, when we went to the to the final four. I remember opening a little like March Madness uh, goodie bag. It was like one of those little like camp backpacks, packs, like the one with the strings. And it just had some like NCAA themed miscellaneous items. Like it had some socks. It had some maybe a T-shirt, um, maybe a, a hat. But it was all – honestly, you could really clearly tell that it was all like – excess from the division one tournament because it was like March madness. It was like a bracket on like one of the shirts and it was like, yeah, this is obviously made for the division one tournament. And then we were just kind of getting the throwaways. Um, so we didn't get much is, is my answer uh, for Williams, but we, we still, you know, had a lot of pride in, in what we accomplished and that, that lasts more than any gear. That's for sure. No, no, no. Look, this isn't, this isn't a, you know, we're not saying anything less. I'm just, I'm curious in the differences in the gear. So can you shed a, a little light on the gift bag you guys get on the Michigan run? Yeah. I mean, Michigan was, was different because that was our second year being with Jordan. So as soon as we made the tournament, we got a huge influx of Jordan gear. I think we got the Jordan 10, like a pair of Jordan tens. We got some trainers. We got like three new sweatsuits. We got a bunch of shirts, um, and then as we continued to advance each weekend, we got more gear sent in from, from Jordan. Uh, so that was always cool. Cause it was like, oh yeah, we advanced. Like, I hope we're going to get 11s this time, or I hope we're going to get fives. Like that was like always the conversation that was had. So we got like a couple new pairs of shoes, uh, each time we advanced and then also like a new sweatsuit or something. And then when we made the final four, we got a bunch of stuff uh from michigan but then also the ncaa and uh to the point where like i remember actually a couple months after or even like a month after i was leaving uh michigan for the final time and uh i was driving home from from michigan to new hampshire and i just did not have a place to put all my stuff because i had so many boxes of just miscellaneous tournament gear to the point where i just started like giving it out uh, to anyone that would have it basically at that point. But yeah, the, the, the gear discrepancy was a great one. That's for sure. Do you remember on the final four gift bag, what was the most valuable thing that was in there? I mean, they had like, so when we got to the final four with Michigan, we had our own like team room. So like there was a whole, uh, ballroom of a hotel that was like dedicated just for us. And they set it up with like ping pong tables and Xboxes and playstations and all sorts of stuff. So like, I'm pretty sure guys like took, I'm pretty sure guys like took full game systems, <laughs> not, not like naming any names, but like, so like some people walked away and, you know, made out pretty good. <laughs> I think that like, maybe we got some like Ray-Ban sunglasses or like some sort of like electronic something. Um, you know, I, the thing that I kind of learned about the NCAA, like all the cool stuff usually came from Jordan. What I learned from mm. my experience was like NCA would always kind of give you something that was like cool, but like not actually cool. Like they would give you like one of those, those mobile uh, battery charging packs, but like it wouldn't be like from an, like an upstanding brand, like a Mophie or something. It would be some like knockoff 
like random ass brand that had like a March Madness logo on it. And you'd just be like, yeah, this is kind of cool, but like, it's also not really. And they probably got it for free anyways. Like they probably had some like marketing deal with this company where they were just going to throw all this shit in our bags anyways. Um, so anyways, my, my point being is that uh, we got a lot of cool stuff, but none of it was like really that that special actually you know what now that i remember it there was also a gift room okay i, I almost forgot they also hooked us up with like a, a balance so i think we got like a a fifteen hundred dollar balance um to like this gift room that we could like walk in and you could just like basically point and choose whatever you wanted Good i God. think i got like a sound bar for my for a tv uh and i ended up giving it away anyways Mo got a, a a giant chair, like a leather chair, like one of those lazy boy chairs, which he never ended up using. And it got delivered to our place because we were roommates at the time. And it just ended up sitting there. And we were like, dude, why did you do this? Because he could never transport it from there. It was just like, it was just dead weight at that point. Um, so we did get a balance to a gift from, which was kind of cool. Uh, but other than that, everything was like pretty cheap, honestly. All right. So I feel like I don't even need to ask this question, but if we're if we're giving the first category to the division three run or the division one run gear received, who wins that category? Now, maybe you got a bunch of unnecessary shit. You didn't want it. And it was a burden, you know, maybe it's better to not get all this unnecessary stuff, but I'm imagining that this category is going to a certain run. No, unfortunately this one, this one goes to Michigan uh, and the division one NCAA tournament just because they, they do, I mean, they have more money than they probably know what to do with. Uh, and they, they did give us some stuff. So I'll give them some credit. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Next category I have for you, the fans, the crowd fans slash crowd is this category. Now, Here's how I want to approach this. I don't want to look at it from like a numbers perspective. Obviously, the Division One run gets more people, but the energy in the gym, Duncan, like the the diehard, the passion. When you when you look at the Division Three versus the Division One run, what stands out to you from the fans, the crowd, the atmosphere in the gym? Yeah, I mean, I think that. Honestly, the the crowds in the NCAA tournament are not great. They're not as good as your traditional. And, and I'm sorry, I'm talking. I'm talking the Division One NCAA tournament. I should learn to specify, um, because you're used to like your normal on the road or home kind of raucous uh, college basketball environment, and you with neutral sites you don't get a lot of students. You get a lot of older people. I mean, Michigan fans always travel well. Like we have a pretty large network, but you always get like older fans that are relatively quiet and uh, just kind of like there to support and not necessarily be loud. Um, So in that regard, I wasn't a huge fan of, of, of like the atmosphere in the NCAA tournament. I will say playing in like a football stadium for a basketball game is incredibly unique I don't know if it's like great for the actual like quality of play, but it's a really cool experience to have played in the final four of the national championship game in front of like 80,000 people. Like that's just, that was a special experience. Um, the one thing I really like about the division three tournament is that because you get these tiny gyms, basically like the max capacity is probably like 4,000. Um, 
each of the respective teams at the regional site travel pretty well because they're relatively local and each team would have like a fan bus to the game or whatever. And after, after each game, like they would stack the game. So when your game would start, there would still be fan overflow from the game before. So the first like three or four or five minutes of that game, you felt like you were playing in a fully packed arena, um, which is always a cool experience because at that point, like you just didn't play in a lot of packed arenas. Uh, so weirdly, like the atmosphere combined with the small gyms and like some weirdly kind of because of the circumstances uh, packed gyms. I will actually say that like the division three tournament had some great atmospheres. And on top of that, if you played like one of the teams in the little, like the little squad or quad of, of four teams would host. So if you played the host team, you ended up, they were essentially playing a home game. It would be an unbelievable atmosphere right. because they would have the right. entire student body from the whole campus out at the game. So I remember in the sweet 16 or actually, sorry, the elite eight, we played the university of Mary Washington. We drove down there uh, and they probably had like a 6,000 person arena and they packed it all out and we ended up winning by 30, no big deal. Um, but it was a rock. It was like a bumping crowd. Like it was a great time up until that point. That was probably like the most live and, and intense and exciting game I've probably ever played in. Yeah, I do love that format. And women's basketball division one still does it this way. The Michigan women are hosting the first two rounds here in Ann Arbor. I love that because you get to you've earned yourself a high seed. You get to play in front of your home fans. Okay, so if we're going crowd environment, are you're taking the division three small crowd, high energy, pack the gym over the football stadium empty atmosphere? You know, it's it's gonna be a choice that not a lot of people are gonna like, but I'm I'm going with it. I mean, that's what what uh, this time of year is all about taking the underdogs and uh, I'm, I'm taking the underdogs in this regard. Couldn't agree more. I, uh, I love it. Okay. Next category food during the run pregame meals. What were you eating at Williams before games? Uh, whatever was available. Uh, <laughs> and, and the, the wide range of possibilities uh, was astounding. Uh, I mean, we would frequent once again, I'm not, there's no shade thrown at any of these establishments no, because no, they're no. all great places, but like we, we would go to like Applebee's and, and, or like a Outback, both of which are, are great. And people would be like crushing like a blooming onion, you oh, know, yeah. three hours before tip. And yeah. it was just like, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Um, we would get a lot of like sandwiches, uh, like mom and pop shops like on campus delis like that sort of thing so it was like it was it was respectable food we every now and then uh we would do like kind of like a more like fast casual option um not like full fast food i don't think we ever did except for maybe like a chick-fil-a mixed in there somewhere um but it was really just like you know what you had at your disposal and uh, a lot of that was dependent i mean like some of these small colleges are in like pretty obscure places so you might not even have like a chain restaurant you might just have to resort to, you know, whatever there is. Um, so yeah, in, in that regard, like the food was, you know, you just had to, to make do with, with what it was. I mean, we were well fed. I'm not going to like sit here and act like we were, we had to like go out and we're like, you know, famished. It was like, that wasn't the, that was not the case. No, look, I'm going to spin this as a positive. There's no better way 
to really immerse yourself in the town that you're playing in, you know, become one with the the gymnasium, the surrounding area, than having to resort to local mom and pop shops and the local Applebee's. That really just gives you a pulse of the, the environment that you're dealing with. Okay, what about at Michigan? Are you guys getting like fine dining uh, delivered to your room? No, it was it was pretty uh, standard like hotel catered meals. Now where we were, it would kind of depend on uh, you know how good the meal was. Like I remember in the Elite Eight, uh, Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight, we were in a, in L.A. and we stayed in a really nice hotel, so like the food was really good. Uh, but one thing that was really cool is every time we won we got to pick where we went to dinner on that night in between. And mm. they just gave like, particularly the older guys, like full autonomy over like what we wanted to do. And Ruth Chris steakhouse always won. So like we would just roll in all in like Michigan polos, like 25 of us uh, and go to Ruth Chris. And we had guys like order like three steaks and like take two of them to go. And like, yeah, I'll have like the, uh, I'll have the 48 ounce uh, Wagyu tomahawk to go, please. <laughs> and these like servers would look at us like, what is going on? Um, but that was like, those, that was like some of the best memories, like just like breaking bread uh, with your teammates after like a big NCAA tournament win. And uh, yeah, just chilling, like being college students who like, you know, nobody really has disposable income or like can go to those restaurants in, in college. Uh, but you know, at that point, the, the meal was on Johnny B. You know, he was swiping the card, or probably not Johnny B. It was probably the University of Michigan. Uh, but nonetheless, we weren't paying for it, and uh, people were running up a tab, that's for sure. Yeah, food budgets probably looked a little bit differently than they did when you were a purple cow. Um, all right, so food, pregame meals, Michigan Williams, who are you giving it to? It's got to go. Yeah, it's got to be Michigan, yeah, unfortunately. I mean, we just, just like the, the opportunity to go to restaurants um, and just order whatever you wanted was always cool. Fair enough. Okay. Michigan takes a two, one lead. So this next category I'm very interested in locker room music. When you compare it to your purple cows and your Wolverines, which one was getting you in a better mental state before the game? Which team was playing better music in the locker room? So I'm actually, I'm going to take this a little different direction. I'm going to change the category to locker room atmosphere, like pregame atmosphere. Oh, instead wow. of music, um, you know, Michigan, it was pretty like we listened to like, uh, honestly, and I don't dislike these artists. Like I will occasionally listen to them, but it was just like, it was so much like NBA young boy, uh, like little Uzi, like, and, and, and once again, I, I like rap. I, it's fine. Or like, you know, we listen to Meek Mill Dreams and Nightmares like seven times in a row. And it'd be like, <laughs> all right, like we can change the song. Like we could do something else. Um, so it was a lot of just like hype music. Everyone was just kind of like in their own space doing their own thing. The interesting thing about the the Williams pregames was that like you had no idea what the atmosphere was going to be like. <laughs> More often than not, it was like some – it was like – it was like some – you know, whatever pop artist or maybe rap artist that was like mildly playing in the background. And then the conversation would be about like, you know, U S foreign affairs and like, whether the, the, our, our, our presence in Syria was like a worthwhile move. Like you were just getting, you were just getting like conversation all over the place. Um, 
yeah, we would talk about the game and like maybe a little bit about the scouting report, but like the vast majority of the conversation was just like high level stuff. It, it was honestly, it would be like if you were listening to two people talk about the New York Sunday times, like it's basically what it was like the front page of the times. Um, so in that regard, like it, it was probably more like productive, I guess you could say from sure. like a, a human being standpoint, like it was worldly. It was uh, a learning experience. Like it's actually interesting. I ended up going on to be a political science major because of my one year at Williams, because I was just like a fly on the wall for so many of the conversations that we're having. Like the difference in, in locker room conversations from Williams to Michigan was a stark contrast, like totally different. Um, and I'm not even saying that one was better than the other. It was just that in those, that Williams locker room, like there were people that were incredibly opinionated and passionate about what was going on in the world. Uh, and they wanted to talk about it. Yeah. If that was 25 minutes before tip off, then so be it. <laughs> Here we were. You've got, you know, Jack Johnson on the stereo. Someone's in the corner playing the guitar along with him. In the other corner, two guys are arguing over the conflict in the Middle East, and you're just reading a book. Get, you're like on your LeBron James, reading a book, getting ready for a big Final Four matchup. Well, it's, it's funny because like on that spectrum of the Williams locker room, like I was the one who who wanted to play like Dreams and Nightmares, right? Like right. I was the one who was like had my Beats headphones on and was like trying to get hyped, like listening to you know No Ceilings, right? Like listening to Old Lil Wayne, like trying to get in the zone. And then in, in the other one, in the Michigan locker room, I'm just like, can I just get some peace and quiet? Like, I just want to be with my thoughts. I've heard, I've heard, hold up, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was fit like 50 times. Like, I've already, I know every word of the song. Like, can we just move forward and play the game? All right. So I'm fascinated to hear your answer then. Which locker room are you taking? Which one's better? You know, I get a lot of shit that I'm, I'm now an old soul. You know, I'm, I'm about to be 28 next month. Uh, I live a pretty, I don't want to say boring, but uh, just kind of like my day-to-day my -day life isn't all, really all that exciting outside of the fact that I, I travel because I'm in the NBA. So now I'm probably more likely to say that, that the Williams locker room was, was, uh, probably has the upper hand. Just from the standpoint of like, I learned, I, I've taken more away from those locker room days than I have for the Michigan locker room. And that's no knock on the Michigan locker room. I love the Michigan locker room, but it's just different. Fantastic. No, that's I'm glad you answered it that way. We now are back to a 2-2 tie. Dave, we're back and we're here to talk some more about Athletic Greens. It is officially a staple of my morning routine. I know on this show before I said the taste is growing on me. Well, now I'm just straight up a fan. Uh, it tastes good. It has everything you need. Uh, their mantra is you can throw all that that garbage out of your uh, out of your cabinets, the different vitamins you take, the multivitamin, the fish oil, whatever. They got it all right in the power. Uh, powder, sorry, but uh, it's it's a fantastic product. Like I said, take it every single morning uh, on an empty stomach. That's how I do it. But you know, whatever you want to do, go ahead. And uh, I've realized, you know, it's I still eat my vegetables, but if I didn't, it wouldn't be the end of the world because I take Athletic Greens every single morning. Dunk gas prices are soaring, and when I'm at the pump, I always wonder what comes out of the premium. 
you know, I've never, I've never driven a car that needs it, but I imagine it might just be athletic greens because I am putting that stuff in my body every morning as well. And let me tell you, I have never felt better. It's a glass of water, a scoop of the powder, you stir it for a couple seconds and then you're ready to go. And let me tell you, I legitimately feel like a superhuman after I drink a cup of that stuff. I feel a better energy. Haven't been sick since I started taking it. It's really, it's, it's like magic. You know, a dietitian once told me you shouldn't put leaded gas in a Ferrari. And the same thing applies when it comes to athletic greens. If you want to move like a Ferrari, if you want to be like a Ferrari, all you got to do, add athletic greens to your morning routine. And check this out. We got a code for you. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash longshot. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash longshot to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. All right, I got three more categories for you, Dunk. Two to tie two two in the series. Game five is a huge one, huge one. Better trash talk. So you've painted a picture of what the locker room looked like at Williams. I'm fascinated to know how that translated on the court. Were guys staying in that mindset? You know, were they getting hit by a hard screen and you know calling the other guy a knucklehead and then complaining about you know going back to the conflict in the Middle East and telling them that you know, there are bigger issues in the world or were guys bringing it? Was there a tenacity that they, uh, you know, flipped the switch when the game started? There was definitely a lot more trash talk uh, amidst our Michigan team and that's internal trash talk and also towards the other team. Um, the My one problem with the Michigan trash talk would, would be like the lack of creativity. It, it was just a lot of the same stuff over and over again. Um, you know, like guys, guys would make fun of me either because I was old because I was 23 at the time. So like that was a running joke uh, or that I had a big head, which is like and not not like uh, like literally a big head, which I do. I have a big, I have a big head. Uh, so like people come at me like all the time for those two things. So it's like, all right, by the time March got around, it was like, can we, can we just come up with something new? But I will say um, when we got to like on the court, like a guy like Xavier Simpson, uh, Charles Matthews, like they, they knew how to talk shit. Uh, Muhammad would find a way to do so. Mo, I, I don't give him any credit for talking shit. I think I thought he was a horrible shit talker. He would just like do his like flexing, like screaming thing and like act like he was tough, but I, I don't really give him any credit. Uh, I think Michigan has the upper hand on this one. Williams, like it was more like, it was more like personality jet like it was kind of like a, a more vicious blow really um more like kind of like deep cutting uh personality jabs uh but there was there the sheer volume of it just doesn't even compare to what it was in michigan there just wasn't a lot of shit talking at, at, at williams all right fair enough and also that seems on brand so not incredibly surprising okay michigan takes game five yeah it's now three two in the series game six your role or your performance overall when you look back at both. So again, you guys got to the final game of the season. So clearly you were doing your role in both situations. You guys probably wouldn't have gotten to that point without you doing your role. But when you look back at, because you had very different roles, right? At Michigan, you're coming off the bench. You're, you know, not, the offense isn't running through you 
at the way that it was at Williams. I mean, at Williams, you guys were dependent on your scoring. So it's not just how many points did you score. You know, it's not necessarily comparing stats, but just you playing your role, you doing what you needed to do to get your team to the next level. I mean, this one's, this one's Williams in a landslide. Uh, you know, I remember conversations with my, my head coach, Mike Maker at the time where he would come up to me before the game and say, Hey, just letting you know, I'm not going to take you out this game. And yeah, I would just play the entire 40 minutes. Uh, he would yell at me when I didn't shoot. Uh, he would want me to be like super aggressive for a lot of that NCAA tournament run. We like, we played a, a two, three zone and I would just like kind of fly around and try to be disruptive. And it was just like, you know, on offense, I, I had the ball in my hands a bunch. I could play, make decision, make, you know, I had some, some good games in that NCAA tournament. Uh, I think I had 30 in the final four game uh, to, to put us to the national championship. So, I mean, I, it's, it's hard to compete with that. I mean, I, I, I love the role that I played at Michigan, but it's, it's hard to compare when uh, you know, you're, you're basically just kind of given the, uh, the star treatment uh, the way that I was at, at Williams. I love it. Finally, you tell it how it is. It was star treatment. You were a star. Was there any conflict with you having the ball in your hands so much? That's an important distinction. I didn't say I was a star. I said I got star treatment. I didn't. I don't because think I a was star. a star. It was just. It was just that I had free. That he gave me the reins. He gave me the. You know, I was the man behind the the wheel. I was. I've met a lot of your teammates from that team, and they're all really good dudes. But was there any conflict from the upperclassmen, especially? that this freshman comes in and, you know, final four game, you have 30, right? So you're clearly, it's the right decision to put the ball in your hands. But a lot of the offense is being run through you as a, you know, as the new guy, as the fresh face. Was that an issue at all? You know, there's there's two quick stories about that exact subject. One is that uh, I was interviewed by the local, the Berkshire Eagle, Howard Herman. Shout out to Howard. Uh, just top tier journalist, uh, one of the, one of the best in the business. I don't know how many people get or read the the Berkshire Eagle, um, but it was it was a big deal in in, uh, in Western Massachusetts. And for one of the, uh, I don't know if it was preseason or after a game or something, I said, you know, I'm just a freshman. I'm trying not to step out to step on toes out there. I'm just trying to play my role, whatever. The next day, Coach Maker called me into his office, and he was the only time that he was like visibly mad at me. He was like pissed off that I said. I didn't want to step on toes. And he was like, I brought you here to step on toes. I brought you here to be aggressive. Um, so that was like his thing. Whenever I would like pass up a shot, he would yell at me and be like, step on toes. Uh, which, you know, as a player, like that's the dream, right? You want it, you want the green light. And he gave me the ultimate green. The other one is uh, this more answers your question of how other players, upperclassmen felt. Coach Maker had never started a freshman before I got there. And it was the day before the first game. He called me into his office and he said, I'm going to start you. And honestly, at that point, like I, I was definitely talented enough to start, but I hadn't like really played great in practices because practices are kind of ugly. And I was a freshman and I was still adjusting, whatever. But he, he wanted, I could tell he wanted to start me. And there was a senior who was kind of slated for the starting role. His name was John Weinheimer. Um, and I thought John was going to start, at least for the first couple of games. Anyways, Maker tells me that. Uh, also tells John Weinheimer that he's going to come off the bench and back me up. It's team meal before the game. And John Weinheimer comes up to me 
and we're at like the little uh the little drink station and he goes hey man i just want to let you know he goes i'm super happy for you that that you earned that starting spot he goes he was a captain at the time too senior captain and hadn't started and was slated to start he goes i just want to let you know i'm super happy for you that that you got that starting spot like you deserve it like I'll be, I'll be, you know, backing you up and anything I can do to help you make the transition seamless. Like, just let me know. And I was like blown away at that point. Uh, I remember telling my mom that story on the phone and she like started crying. And to this day, (laughs) John Weinheimer's like her favorite person on the planet. Um, But that, that was like an example of the team that we had. Like we just had great dudes and not say that they weren't like super competitive. Like John was a really good player and a competitive individual, but like, he just wanted his senior year to be the best possible experience it could be from a basketball standpoint. And that meant if that meant me starting and us going on a run and, you know, winning games, if that was what was best for the team, like, then he was willing to buy into whatever that looked like. Uh, so in that sense, we had a bunch of guys who were like fully on board and all in on just like helping us win, which was really cool. So as a freshman, you're like trying to navigate and like not, like I said, not step on toes. They made it easy for me to do so, which is, which is pretty cool. All right. Three takeaways. First, John sounds like a legend. So shout out to John. Secondly, shout out to John. It makes sense, right? That the locker room is that healthy. Again, you don't win at that level unless it is Uh third. Has your entire career just been coaches telling you to be aggressive and shoot? Because it sounds like Mike Maker was instilling the same message that Eric Spolstra is still instilling in you. Yeah, I've, I've been I've been lucky in that regard. I I definitely have. I mean, I, my high school coach, not Coach Chilton at Exeter, but my previous high school coach was not that way. Uh, <laughs> it was very much the opposite. So, uh, so maybe in a way, it's the universe balancing the scales, you know? Well, you were still learning how to like move and run at that point. So True. I don't think that's a reflection on yeah, the coach. I was, I was pretty, I was pretty shitty back then. I'll be honest with you. All right. Three, three game seven, Williams, Michigan, 2014 run in, in division three versus 2018 run in division one game seven. I have an inkling of, about who's going to take this one, but is after the run is over. You come up short, but it's still a magical run in both scenarios. You come back to campus, one with your purple cows, the other with your Wolverines. The city, the community, the campus reaction. What was it like in Williamstown, Massachusetts? Were people, was there a parade? Were people throwing balloons and rice like a wedding? Can you paint the scene for us? I'm just going to tell you a story leading up to the final four. So I was taking a, uh, an English literature class at the time. And I can't remember the the professor's name, but uh, when she handed out the syllabus in the start of the second semester, she made it very clear that if you missed three classes, you would automatically lose half a grade on your final grade. Like your overall grade would be deducted half a grade. If you, if you missed three classes throughout the entire semester, I was a pretty studious guy. I went to class at least at at Williams. I I went to class. I went to, (laughs) I went to class at Michigan for the most part. Um, So mind you each weekend, it was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class. So for the NCAA tournament, same, same setup, right? It was three consecutive weekends. Round of 64 and 32 were in one weekend, 16 and eight were in the next, and final four and championship were in the third. 
as a result, I missed two classes of that class for the first two weekends. So we, we just want, win the elite eight. We're back on campus. I'm back in time for my Monday morning class. I go to my Wednesday class. I go up to the professor after my Wednesday class and I say, Hey, I'm not, not sure if you know this, but you know, I play on the basketball team. Um, we just made it to the final four. I know I missed, you know, the last two Friday classes because I've been playing for the basketball team, but, uh, I'm going to have to miss this, this upcoming class. And I just want to make sure that my grade's not going to get dropped. And she goes, unfortunately, uh, well, first she goes, I didn't even, I didn't even know that we like had a basketball team. I didn't definitely didn't know that you were on it. And third of all, unfortunately rules are rules. Uh, it's clearly stated in the syllabus. For whatever the reason is, if you miss three classes, your grade will be deducted. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, well, this is just ridiculous. Like, what like what am I supposed to do at this point? I'm like still doing all the work or whatever. Uh I end up trying to like find a way to to circumvent the the syllabus and like I don't end up getting the deduction. But if I had missed another class the rest of the year, I would have. But anyways, that was just a small picture of like the vast majority of Williams College campus really didn't care or didn't probably didn't even know. Um, so it was like maybe to like some other athletes, it was like cool, like, oh man, congrats or whatever. But like also like other athletes are also kind of like kind of in like competition of like who's the the big cheese on campus. So like sure. you didn't really get that much love. Um, it was just cool, like internally, like we knew what we had accomplished and and uh you know, we're proud of ourselves for doing so. Now, Michigan on the other side, the other end of the spectrum was awesome. Um, you know, college is a unique time, right? Because really the only thing that exists to like kind of separate individuals is like the social hierarchy, which like, you know, I have my judgments on this in and of itself, but like the social hierarchy and like clout, like nobody has money really in college. Like everyone's kind of on the same, you know, playing field or whatever, but like when we came back from our final four run, I mean, it was just, it was just a different level. Like, I don't think I, I don't, I didn't hand in another assignment the rest of the year. I was just like, I was chilling. Like, you know, we were going to skis, we were going to regs, we were cutting lines, we were, you know, whatever you wanted to do. Like, I mean, Mo was just, cause he was like the, he was the guy and he was the first round pick. That was like the one side of it that I didn't, really love i love mode of death but it was like kind of annoying where it was like everywhere it's like oh more it's wagner more it's wagner it's like all right dude did you know that if we scored if i scored six points we were undefeated like come on give me some love uh 29 and 0 i'm just kidding i actually like the fact that mo got all the uh all the attention because i could just kind of like lurk in the shadows you know and just kind of like do my own thing but uh no nah, it, it was cool when we came back like restaurants and stuff would always look out and you know, compass meals, uh, NCA can't come at us anymore because, you know, they're allowed to do that. But, uh, it, it was, it was cool in that sense. And, you know, Michigan is just like, it's a huge sports school and like people, it's a great school academically, but people go there because they love the, the pride that they can have in both being a great school and both, you know, performing in athletics at a high level. So in that sense, uh, it, it was, it was fun that, that stretch, of whatever it was. I mean, I think we lost on April 2nd um, and graduation was like the end of April. And uh, I just told all my boys, like, I'm pretty sure you came up for a weekend in there. I was just I like, was there. yeah, everyone just, you got to come to campus. Um, our house that we were living at the time 
just had like beds everywhere. Like people were sleeping on the couches. It was just like, we were just going to have a time and, uh, we had a fun time. It was, it was a lot of fun. So in that, in that regard, it's, it's hard to, to not take Michigan. I was there for the first weekend back. Uh, so I had an inkling that that's the direction you were going to go because I got to see it with these two eyes. I mean, you were, you were a God. Who is it that they build a statue of in China? Stefan Marbury. You were like, you were like the Stefan Marbury of. I uh, wasn't. Eh, I certainly wasn't. I don't know. I don't know. I was like, uh, I, I was just, you know, whatever. I was a, I was a supporting character. I mean, Mo, Mo was the guy. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally, you know, whatever, willing to admit that he was, I mean, he was like the ex- eccentric, exuberant German that everybody fell in love with or hated. I mean, it was one or the other. You either loved him or you hated him. Uh, and obviously people supporting Maze and Blue loved him. All right. So game seven, unsurprisingly, campus city reaction were given to the Maze and Blue, which means it was a very tight race. It went seven, which is what every fan wanted. I think it was worth the ticket, but Michigan takes the series slightly in better March Madness run. Is that a fair assessment? It was a hell of a series, man. Honestly, it was, it was uh, closer than I thought. In hindsight, I, I would have felt like Michigan for sure would have taken it. But now that I'm looking at it, you know, it's it, it's clear it was, it, you know, tooth and nail right down to the wire. Um, I mean, I, both experiences were were life altering uh, and, and things that I'll, I'll never forget. That's for damn sure. And, you know, it's always cool every year, you know, now that I've, I've gone on tournament runs, it's always cool to to watch the tournament now and like see teams kind of lean into that and experience it and, and get to go through that process. Cause it really is for a lot of these kids. Like it's once in a lifetime um, for all of them. It's once in a lifetime, whether you go on to play after or not, like it's still, it'll never be the same. Uh, that's for damn sure. So I'm, I'm excited to, to be fully dialed into the tournament. And that also reminds me you may or may not have time, but if you're a Debo coin holder, you can get in on our uh, March Madness bracket. Hey, now. And uh, you have an opportunity to win some pretty cool stuff. So uh, you might be fighting against the clock here, unless you're you know, up at the crack of dawn here on Thursday morning when this drops. But uh, you know, if you can, rush to a computer, rush to a, a cell phone or a tablet or a smartphone, whatever you have at your disposal, buy some Debo coin, go through Rally, and uh, join the tournament. We got some great giveaways. Yes, we do. And I can't say for certain that by the time you hear this you can still get in but you can try your hardest and we are we got some cool stuff right first prize dunk is coming on this podcast so we'll see we got to also we got a good amount that's of about people as, in, that's about as cool as it gets we got a good amount of people Honestly. in there already um look man i'm fired up this was fun i uh both runs were magical i got to watch both the first one, I wasn't really as supportive. I still secretly wanted you guys to win just because it would have been good for your career. But you guys were also our biggest rival, so it was hard to cheer too loudly for you. Michigan, you know, I was completely dialed in. What a magical run that was. You know, we talked about also comparing this to the NBA Finals because you also made a run to the final series there. But we've been going for about an hour 10, so I don't know if that's completely necessary. I also think that it's March Madness week, man. So I, we just lean into the NCAAs. I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't watched a lot of college basketball this year. I've tuned into a little Michigan, a little KU. But now that we're here, I'm going to be glued to the television and probably watch every second of coverage for the next, whatever it is, three weeks. 
because there's just nothing better. No, you're spot on. There, there's nothing like, especially those first couple of days of the tournament, uh, those Thursday, Friday games. I firmly believe that they, particularly day one, should be a national holiday. People shouldn't be forced to go to work on a day like this. Uh, they should be able to sit on their couch with their friends and watch college basketball. You know, just just watch amateurs, right? Just amateurs compete yeah, right. uh, for the ultimate glory, uh, the opportunity to hold a, a trophy up at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, I, I think it should be a national holiday. I might start a, a grassroots campaign to get that thing, get that thing rolling. Who would have been your dream sponsor with NIL when you were at Michigan? Mm. It's a good question. I would have loved. Uh, Demos Deli and Donuts in Ann Arbor. <laughs> if I could have got an NIL sponsor of just free Demos, <laughs> that would have been all time. Uh, also, uh, a sneaky snake in the grass uh, or dark horse competitor for that would have been a Skeep sponsorship. Oh. Like that would have been incredible. Imagine, imagine you know you just skip every line to Skeeps. Yeah. Uh, you know, drinks are, are everything's free. You're just handing them out like it. Like that would be pretty cool too. Um, both of those would be like elite NIL uh, endorsements. I mean, we just, you essentially did have a Skeep sponsorship for the last month of the school year. You said it, not me. I witnessed it with these two eyes. <sighs> um, all right, Dave, you got anything else? No, this was fun. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. Division three basketball just talking through it with you it really reminds me of the magic of it we talked about the pods in the first two rounds the small gyms the the school spirit the educational debates in the locker room with all that being said though the basketball is really high level and your team was playing at a really high level you have clearly gone on to prove that you were one of the best players in the world you are one of the best players in the world and so it's just, it's good stuff. And it's really magical. I encourage everybody, if you have the opportunity to watch a division three tournament game, please do so. Because I see some disrespect for division three basketball. Like, you know, Duncan was playing at the local YMCA before Michigan found him. No, no, he was playing a really high level and look at the guy. I mean, look at that sweet jumper. Look at how talented he is on the basketball court and he still couldn't get it done at the division three level, which I think just goes to show you how good the basketball is. That's true. Now I I've been a strong advocate for division three basketball for quite some time. Uh, so much to the point that I, I went toe to toe with Malcolm Gladwell on JJ's podcast. <laughs> uh, so I'm willing to die on that hill for sure. Uh, but yeah, if you have the opportunity, just, just tune into any, any March Madness game. You won't regret it.